Well, it all started in the spring of 2008 when Michael Zwick of Glenville, Illinois, complained about his neighbor's new fence. He said that it left a dark area behind his garage where gang members might hang out. And so he felt that it should be removed. But it wasn't. And so in response to his complaint, the neighbor, her name was Jean Kraft, this is according to the Chicago Tribune, she told Zwick not to put his recycling bins on the public parkway in front of her house because they were killing her grass. And so in retaliation, Zwick blew leaves from his property onto her property and let his weeds grow 18 inches high and aimed a security camera on her yard. Then she moved his recycling bins and complained to the police about snow that was plowed onto her land by him. And she bought new shades and drapery to cover her windows completely. The village of Glenview finally wrote an ordinance that prohibited Mr. Zwick from putting his recycling bins close to his neighbor's house. So Zwick defied that ordinance, and he's been given 10 citations and charged over $10,000 in fines up to this point in time. The case has now gone to the Cook County Court. Says Mr. Zwick, we're digging in. Fences. Fences. They come in all shapes and styles, don't they? Think about fences for a moment. There are fences that are small and attractive and transparent, kind of like those beautiful little white picket fences with flowers around them. Then there are fences that are imposing and scary, big chain-link fences with razor wire along the top. And, And then some fences are intricate, even artistic pictures on them and paintings. But in every case, what is a fence designed to do? Keep something in or keep something out, right? Well, today's message is all about removing the fences that keep us separate from one another as followers of Christ and members of the family of God. When I was just a a very young boy, I think it was five, perhaps six years old, and one of my favorite places to visit was my grandfather's house. It was a brick home, and my grandfather was fond of telling anybody that was listen that he had laid every brick of that house by hand by himself. In fact, for several years, when my mother was just a child, her family lived in the dugout basement of that house while my grandfather built the house above. Now, the front yard of Grandpa's house was immaculate. The plants and shrubs bloomed in different seasons. The lawn was always cut perfectly and trimmed around the edges. And there was one of those beautiful white picket fences surrounding that small yard lined with colorful flowers. It was a beautiful and welcoming front yard. My grandfather was proud of his showpiece front yard, and he wasn't afraid to say so, or to remind his grandkids to stay off the lawn and away from his flowers. And the backyard, the backyard was different. 
The backyard was surrounded by a fence as well, but it was a tall wooden fence that provided complete privacy from the surrounding neighbors. The fence also served as a good barrier to keep, keep grandkids in and pets safe. Now, the grass was usually cut, but not nearly as often as the front yard. There was a swing set to play on. There were often toys strewn about and a path worn through the grass between the swing and the fort at the back corner of the yard that was built out of scrap lumber. My grandfather had built a, a brick grill from leftover bricks from the house. And there was some cheap, worn lawn furniture sitting around it. During nice weather, we'd eat meals out there on the picnic table that my grandpa had built. My grandparents also had a dog. His name was Rufus, and so you had to watch where you stepped in the backyard because Rufus had been around. Now, all of this was kept behind that tall fence, and it served to separate us from the outside world. The fence was the barrier between two distinct spaces. It was the divider between the pristine front that everyone was allowed to see and the back, which was where real life was played out. Well, this morning, we are continuing our series asking the question, has your faith hit a plateau? Let's put that slide up there, Gary. That's, there it is. Has your faith hit a plateau? And we've been talking about how in our Christian faith, often we will kind of get on autopilot and get to a place where we're kind of coasting, even disconnecting at times, a plateau. And the concept of fences is going to play a big part in what we'll see today as one of God's plans for his church, that we would live connected lives. God wants us to live connected with him and with one another. God wants us to know true community. But we might find ourselves at times hitting that plateau, a place where we're no longer growing in this area of connectedness. Thank you, Gary. And so we ask, what do fences have to do with that? And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. And we're going to read that in just a moment. But first, Go back to that idea of the fence, all right? Let's keep using that comment, concept, and I want you to, to picture your life as a yard. Now, if a lot of us are honest, we admit that we like a good fence in our life. What we are comfortable showing people and letting people know about in our lives is our front lawn, right? We might even have a a welcome mat out front. We usually keep our front yard neat and manicured with no weeds showing. But if we're honest, that welcome mat often is just for decorative purposes. The front yard of our lives is what we're comfortable showing. But the backyard, the backyard, that's different, isn't it? That's the real us. And getting in there is by invite only. And that is where most of us build that fence. We build these fences because I'm not sure I want you to know what's going on with the real me. 
I might not want you to see the parts of my life that aren't so pristine. I don't want you to step in the dog piles in my backyard. I might be embarrassed about the weeds or the mess back there. The backyard is private because the backyard is me, who I really am. This is the yard of our lives. Now here's the deal about fences. God really isn't a big fan of them. Not in our spiritual lives and not in the way that we relate to one another or to the world. And as far as being in relationship with him and being in community with one another, God wants us to rethink our fences. In fact, he might even be trying to get you to tear down a few of those fences altogether. If we intend to be the community of faith that God desires, if we truly want to live life his way and not our way, then there are three things that I want to share with you today. Three things to know about these spiritual and relational fences. The first thing that's critical for us to know, above all, is that Jesus has crashed the fence. Jesus has crashed the fence. Before we even talk about fences between us and one another, we have to realize that there is a barrier that exists between God and us. The first part of our Hebrews passage reminds us of what happened to this barrier when we came to know Jesus. Let's begin in verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that brings faith, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now here, the author of Hebrews is talking about the fact that because of Jesus, we now have a way to come to God. To really understand this scripture, we have to realize that the book of Hebrews was written to speak to the first century Jewish mindset. And a huge part of that mindset, a huge part of that culture was separation. If you think about it, the whole Jewish religion dealt with separation. God's people staying apart from other people. God's people staying separate from sin. They existed in separate families, within separate tribes. And every time they went to the temple to worship, they saw physical reminders of this separation. Now, in the first century in which Jesus lived, and which the book of Hebrews was written, there existed the Jewish temple called Herod's Temple. Now, when we think of a temple, we think of a building, maybe like a church building. 
maybe a little fancier. But I want you to understand something about Herod's temple. It was 35 acres large, all right? It was a cluster of buildings surrounded by courtyards and courtyards and courtyards and magnificent staircases and gleaming towers. It sat at the highest point of the city of Jerusalem, and everything looked up to that temple. And that is where the people came to worship God. But when they got there, there were some rules. And they were rules of separation. If you were not a full-blooded Hebrew, you could only get into the very outermost courtyard of this complex. It was called the court of the Gentiles. It was the biggest court, but it was the only court that a non-Jew could enter. By the way, if you remember the story of Jesus cleansing the temple, coming in and turning over the money changers' tables and yelling and scaring away the animals, that took place in that courtyard. That courtyard was to be an open place for people of all the world to come and to approach God, at least a little bit. But the Jewish leaders had allowed it to become a place full of animals and merchandise and selling and deception and cheating and that's where Jesus came to cleanse the temple. Now, if you were a full-blooded Jew, a Hebrew, you could go further into the temple. Well, if you were a woman, you could only go into the next courtyard. If you were a full-blooded Hebrew woman, you could go a little farther, but then a literal wall stopped you. That was called the court of the women. It was as far as they could get. Now, if you were a Hebrew male, you could go even further. But if you weren't ceremonially pure, then another wall, another barrier stepped you. They called that the court of Israel. All right. Well, if you were a Hebrew male and you were ceremonially pure, then you could go a little bit farther into another courtyard called the court of the men. But then you had to stop again. That's as far as you could get because you weren't a descendant of Levi. Now, if you were a Hebrew male and you were ceremonially pure and a descendant of Levi, then you could go into the next courtyard. Then you had to stop. That was called the court of the priests. The only way you could get into the next courtyard is if you belong to the right family of the tribe of Levi at that particular time. If you were a Hebrew male, ceremonially pure, descendant of Levi, and you belonged to the right family, then you could go the furthest into the temple, into the place called the holy place. The holy place was where the altar was and where sacrifice took place. And there were beautiful uh, items, gold items representing different parts of worshiping God, designed intricately at God's command, the holy place. But you couldn't go any farther. You could not go any farther because once you got into the holy place, there was the final barrier, a curtain separating you from the room, the innermost room called the holy of holies. 
And the holy of holies was where God's manifest presence lived. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where the Shekinah glory of God resided. And to enter there, if anyone to enter there, it would be a death sentence immediately by Almighty God himself, unless, unless you met all the previous criteria. You were a man, the right tribe, the right family, and you came at the right time on the right day, the day of atonement, and in the right way, carrying the right blood sacrifice. And only one guy could do that, the high priest. And it was his job pour that blood, to sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the nation so that the sins could yet be rolled forward another year. You understand that they understood about separation and walls and barriers. They were real and they were physical, but they were also spiritual. And then Jesus came. Jesus came, and then all the walls and barriers were destroyed. You see, because Jesus is our great high priest, he crashed the fence. He knocked down the walls. The veil of that curtain, that that curtain that hung in the Holy of Holies, that veil that separated people from God, it was torn in two at the death of Jesus. And so now, now, according to Scripture, we are able to confidently draw near to him. This access is promised and it's granted to all, to anyone. It doesn't matter what tribe. It doesn't matter what race. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Anyone can enter in to God's presence. They've received Jesus Christ as Lord. Anyone who's participated in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, anyone who has been born again has this great privilege and this great confidence. And so it's important for us to understand and to be reminded that sin is the fence that separates us from God. The blood of Jesus and the conquering of death and sin that took place at the cross creates a new and living way, and it destroyed those fences of sin completely, creating access for anyone who would follow Jesus. Jesus destroys the need for a temple. Jesus destroys the need for separation in this life. Jesus destroys the law, and he allows us to step freely into his eternal kingdom should we so choose. This is the truth that Jesus has crashed the fence. You see, you and I, we we learn from childhood how to build fences, don't we? Walls, structures designed to hide and protect or confine who we really are to keep us separated from God, from one another. We're born into a life of sin, our first fence, the fence that keeps us from true community with him. And it's only when we fully admit our failing 
and realize and accept that Jesus on the cross has smashed and crashed the fence of sin that we can have a true relationship with God and come into his community, his eternal family, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome picture. Did you see that in the text when I read it? To have our guilty conscience cleansed. To have a hope provided and promised by God. For he who promised is faithful. Amen? Amen. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Yes, Jesus crashed the fence, but what's next? Number two. Number two, now it is time to open your fences. Jesus has crashed the fence. He's torn it down. He's destroyed it. And so it's up to us to open up our fences. We believe these awesome truths. We come to this building and we sing songs and we listen to Bible teaching and we gather with one another and we even share the Lord's Supper together. We smile and we say good morning, but we so often do it from behind a fence. Now you might be thinking, now Rob, you, I thought you just said that Jesus broke down the fence. Oh, he did. He did. For every single one of us, Jesus has broken down the fence and made a way possible for us to be with God. But how does that impact us as people? And when I say that, I mean people, plural, us, a community. This is the second truth that we must pursue regarding these spiritual and relational fences. Open your fences. Imagine in in your mind a picture of all of mankind standing before a fence of sin, whatever that might look like. And suddenly it just comes tumbling down when Jesus dies on the cross and is resurrected again. And so when I draw near to God, to become his follower. There's there's no fence anymore. It's gone. And when you draw near to become a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no fence anymore, which means there's no fence in existence in the community of God. Or there shouldn't be. But then you know what we do? We start picking up the rubble, and we start building fences between one another between our brothers and sisters in Christ. And even though Jesus has crashed our fence, we still want people to only see the pretty parts of our yard. And so we keep building those walls. Now we're, and we're so careful to allow people to see the, the parts of the yard that we feel safe for them to see. And we do that by building fences. We're so good at it. And this is not what God intends for his church. If we are true followers of Jesus, that means loving one another. And loving each other is impossible to do from behind a fence. And so what do we do? With the fences that all of us have erected, myself included, it's hard. It's hard how to truly know how to love each other. But thanks be to God, in his great wisdom, he gives us the perfect prescription right here in this text. So I want you to look down to verse 24 and 25. 
Let's read that. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you catch that line? Do not give up meeting together. If you're using an older version, it might say, do not forsake the assembling together. It's that famous passage that preachers have used for years to guilt their congregations into coming to church every Sunday. But I want you to understand something. This is not about legalism or monitoring one another's church attendance or judging. This is about our, our spiritual health. Are you familiar with the company StubHub? StubHub is a company that buys and resells tickets for various sporting events. You can log on and you want a ticket to a particular game, StubHub likely has it for you. You can buy it there. And they have a motto. I heard this motto on the radio. It says, StubHub, because they play better when you're there. Now, what are they trying to do? They're trying to encourage people to buy tickets to their favorite sporting event. But let's Let's apply that to us for a moment. Have you ever said or thought in your mind, you know, Garden Way Church ought to do this? Or, you know, I wish Garden Way would change that. I don't like it very much. You know, it's easy to lob criticism over the fence from outside based on your personal preferences or because of something that you heard from somebody else or because of some perceived injustice that you really have no personal knowledge of. But you see, if you're not here playing in the game, then we are at a disadvantage. We play better together when you are here. Does that make sense? When you are here, you know more about what's going on. You're invested in what's happening. In fact, you're on the team. And therefore, we play better together. But folks, I really want you to understand this is about so much more than attending the church service on Sunday for an hour or so. Yeah, assembling together on Sunday is important. Don't get me wrong. It's where we receive teaching together. And by the way, the teaching that we receive here is for our church in our particular stage of existence and need. There's great teaching out there on the radio and other places. You can get that. I get it. There are great speakers. But this is our church. This is for us, where we're at, and we need to be here for it. It's where we sing together and worship together and encourage one another together. It is the Lord's day, and it's healthy and important for us to be together. 
to make it a priority to assemble together. It's Sunday, yes, but it's so much more than Sunday. I believe the Hebrew writer is talking about sharing life together. He's talking about living in community. And community means we don't build fences. Community means we give each other permission to enter our yards. It means sharing life, a deeper relationship than we can have while we sit here in rows staring at somebody up on the stage lecturing. It means that we allow people to see the things that, honestly, we'd rather hide. That cluttered mess in the backyard of your life, the weeds, the stuff scattered about, the stuff you have to watch out stepping in. God wants us to see that in one another's lives. Not so we can judge one another. Not so that we can look down on one another, so, but so that we can help one another. We sit in the pews with the people. We may even enjoy Bible study with one another in a class or a, a life group. Or, but we rarely, we rarely see one another's faces. We often only get a glimpse of one another from behind our fences. Now, maybe once in a while, I might see your whole face. Maybe you'll see mine. More likely than not, though, we don't. But you know what? It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. There is still a fence between us. If I'm not in your backyard, I can't embrace you in your time of family tragedy. If you're not in my yard, then you can't see what's happening over here when my wife and I are having a tough time. You see, these fences impede our community. We have to get into the yard to fully know somebody. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more. All the more as you see the day approaching. A Christ follower cannot profit from the gifts, the encouragement, the help, the goodness of other believers unless we are together. Looking around this room here. Just look around for a minute. And I'm going to ask you a question. Whose yard are you in? Whose yard are you in? Who are you allowing into your yard? It's a challenging question, isn't it? Especially for those of us that are introverted. I'm one. Some of us are really private. But you know what? Our personality doesn't change this truth. If we are truly going to experience not only the church, but also life as God intends it, then we can't live behind a fence. To truly love your church, you have to love the people in your church. And that doesn't mean that every everyone transforms into some super social extrovert not talking about that, but what it means is that we don't live in isolation. Community is standing in somebody's yard. And this is precisely why we spent more than a year planning and creating and implementing what we call our growth triads. 
Now, I've talked to you about this before, but I'm going to talk to you about it again to refresh your memory and to challenge you. A growth triad, let me tell you, first of all, what it is not. It is not a Bible study. You can get that. We provide that for you through life groups and Sunday school classes and ABFs. You can get that out in the community, on videos, all kinds of places. A triad is not a Bible study. A growth triad is a group of three men or three women who are committed to one another, committed to step into one another's yards, so committed that they will find the time in their schedule every single week to meet, whether it's 5 o'clock in the morning or it's 6 o'clock after you get off work at a long day, you still get together because you're committed. A growth triad represents priority in our schedules. It's not a, I'm going to make it if I can this week. It's a, I will make it because I got two other people counting on me. And that's because in a growth triad, there is accountability. You can guarantee that we're going to ask the hard and real questions of life. How are you doing? How did you do last week? in this area where you're struggling? Where did you fail? And how can we help one another get back up and keep going? Now, the growth triads are not touchy-feely things. I don't want it to imply that. There is scripture involved every time. But we are taking scripture and we are applying it directly to our lives where we are at as those three men or women. How does this scripture apply to me today, this morning or this evening, this week in which I am living? And then what am I going to do? What action step will I take based on what I learned today in this triad gathering? Scripture, application, action. Triads are also filled with prayer, praying specifically for one another about the specific goals that we've made for that week. In a growth triad, there is follow-up. Every topic lasts at least two weeks, one for application and one for follow-up to say, how did it go? How did it work? What worked? What didn't work? What are you going to do now to make sure that it works next week? So today I want to issue a challenge, because I told you I was going to issue a challenge. Here it is. Find two other people and commit to a triad. We'll help you with the details. We'll provide the materials, the how-to. That's the easy part. You need to find two people and start doing this. Now, if you really and honestly can't find two people in this church of over 350 people, if you can't find two people to do this with, why not? Why not? Figure it out. Figure it out. Take a risk. And then seriously, if you really can't find two people, I'll help you. I personally will help you to connect with two other people. And so that's my challenge. 
in your program today is your connection card. It's in there every week. Here's what I challenge you to do. Fill that card out. Write your name on it. A phone number or an email where you can be connected. And then somewhere on that, just write triad. All right? And I'll be in touch. And we'll get you going. Because it's important that we open up our fences and do life together. Jesus crashed the fence, and he wants us to tear down our fences that so easily divide and tear us apart. And then what else? Finally, we need to, folks, we need to enjoy life without fences. We need to enjoy the fence-free life. Imagine if you were a little kid and you went to a birthday party. And you got there and nobody planned anything. I, I don't know, maybe there might be a, a bag of plain potato chips. Some watered-down Kool-Aid. And that's about it. There's no games. There's no cake. No gifts. No face painting. No pin the tail on the donkey. I don't know. Nothing. There's nothing. That would be a dull, boring, terrible party, wouldn't it? And you'd probably leave that place thinking, they didn't even try. They didn't even try. I want you to look back to verse 24 of the text. 24 says, let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. To consider means to contemplate, to strategize. Think of it as planning for a successful birthday party. All right? Living a life without fences is going to take not only intentionality, but also strategy. You know what the Hebrew writer here is telling us? He's saying, figure out how to do this, people. God gave you a brain, and it's our responsibility. It's not just going to fall into our laps. Community is a way to finding ways to encourage one another to love and good deeds. That goes beyond showing up for an hour on Sunday, listening to a sermon. It's seeing beyond the walls and the fences that have been built and then maybe even offering some help. It's bringing a meal in a time of crisis or a time of need. It's inviting somebody over for dinner. It's teaming up when we have a church service project and working alongside friends. It's being open and accountable to other believers, being willing to be challenged to, in life together through a triad. It's, it's enjoying one another and helping one another enjoy serving Jesus in the time that we have left. Because guess what? The day is drawing near. We don't know how much time we have. The thing is, these things don't happen automatically. They happen when we consider how to make them happen. So let's be people that are a bit more considerate and start considering. And then what is it that we're considering? How we can spur one another on. Now, you're not going to like this part. The word spur on, your, your Bible might say provoke or stimulate or rouse. The word, the original word, refers to sharp contention, even argument. You know what this suggests? 
that it is our responsibility as believers to give one another a little kick in the you-know-where once in a while in a loving way, not a judgmental, painful way, but it's our job, our responsibility to take care of each other. And if we see that our brothers and our sisters are not assembling regularly together, if they're not a part of the community of faith on a regular basis, if we're not inviting one another into our backyards, then there's something wrong. And it's our job to figure out what it is and help one another get back on track. And by the way, here's something important. Don't get all offended when a brother or sister challenges you a little bit. Who are you to get into my business? You know what that statement is? That's a statement of the, of the culture of this world. It's all about me. And you got no right telling me how to live my life. So back off, buddy. That's a fleshly attitude. But a godly attitude says, wow, that person cares enough to say something. Maybe I should think about it. A godly attitude says, I'm a little scared to say something, but I'm, I'm good anyway. Because I love that person. I want what's best for them. As we close up, I'm going to give you some suggested points of strategy for all this as a church family. Number one, have healthy expectations. Healthy expectations, okay? An unhealthy expectation is that we'll all know everyone and that every single person will be best friends with everybody else here in the church. That's not realistic and it's not healthy to think about that. In a church our size, it ain't going to happen. But here's a healthy expectation. I can build some great connections throughout this church family. And I can build some great friendships with some people in this church body. And I can enter into some deep relationships with a few people in this church body. That's a healthy expectation. It'll take time, but we have to have a healthy goal in mind. Number two, realize that baby steps are okay. Let's be clear. Living without fences doesn't mean that you're going to let every single person into the more personal parts of your life the first day that you meet them. That's not the goal in any sense. It's not wise, and it can even lead to harm. But I'm not talking about spilling your guts to everybody all the time. At first, we need to hang out together, maybe in the front yard. Then maybe you invite somebody into the living room. And then when it gets real, maybe they're out in the backyard with you. It takes time, and that's okay. You won't let everyone in, but you need to work to let someone in. Does that make sense? And then finally, take some ownership. Take some ownership because this is everyone's job, not everyone else's job. I hope that, that really resonates with you. It's everyone's job, not everyone else's job. So if you're sitting around waiting for everybody to come to you, then you're sitting in the wrong spot. Move. Get to know one another. On that day, when Jesus appears a second time, he will bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. But for those who keep on sinning, 
he will bring judgment. How will we be found when Jesus returns? Whether we choose to avail ourselves of the encouragement of the assembly and God's people in the present will be a significant factor in whether we will remain faithful until that day. On the bottom of your insert today, the sermon insert, there's a little self-evaluation. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 the lowest, 10 the highest, how much effort are you putting into connecting with one another's? Rate yourself. What do you need to do to raise your number by just one or two levels? You don't have to jump up from a 1 to a 10. But what steps can you take to, to jump up to the next level or the next, in the next few weeks? Ask God's Holy Spirit to reveal that to you today. Boldly love your church in community. Focus on what is good. Allow the things that annoy you to slide. Initiate reconciliation with those that you have broken relationships. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. Assume the best in one another. Be quick to forgive and patient with all. Start considering how you can be more connected with others for encouragement and growth. It can start today as soon as this service is finished. Don't jet out the front door. Look around. Ask yourself, who do I get to know? And then reach out. But above all, above all, know that Jesus has crashed the fence. And because he has, allow your brothers and sisters into your yard to enjoy the fence-free life. Let's pray together.